Before we get to today's episode, I want to ask you guys for a big favor. Go ahead and subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating or review. It makes a big difference. It helps other people know about the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. Okay, on to the show. You're listening to Making It with John Davids. What's up, guys? JD here, and I got a really good one for you today. I really enjoyed this conversation. Today, I'm talking with Hugh Forrest, who is the Chief Programming Officer at South by Southwest, the globally recognized conference, music, film, technology. It all happens at South by Southwest. Hugh's been there for 30 years. He has seen the evolution over time. We get into it, the speakers, the technology, the stories what he thinks about Web3, and a lot more. So hope you guys enjoy this conversation. I really, really did. Let me know what you think on Twitter. I'm at RealJohnDavids, R-E-A-L-J-O-N-D-A-V-I-D-S. Tweet at me, DM me. Let me know what you think about this episode, and let me know what you want to hear. Okay, let's get to my conversation with Hugh Forrest. What exactly is your job? Chief Programming Officer sounds like a hefty title. What do you do? Well, I typically go with the somewhat cynical answer of I answer a lot of emails, but I was talking to someone last week and they said, oh, you're kind of the gatekeeper. And that was a pretty good way to phrase it. I oversee most of the content at South by Southwest. I'm particularly focused on our panels, presentations, our daytime content. I also oversee the music festival, the film festival, the comedy festival and what we do with EDU. But for those things, I'm a little less hands-on. But that's pretty much everything. It sounds to me like a a gatekeeper would be the right title for you. Yeah, there's a ton to South by Southwest, and certainly I don't do all of it, but I have a great job in terms of working with a very, very creative staff and trying to identify the most creative, innovative, inspirational folks from around the US and around the world to come speak at South by Southwest. Yeah, anybody listening to this podcast, of course, would know South by Southwest. But if you were describing it to someone, it's such a cultural landmark now. But if you were describing South by to somebody, how would you put it into words? You are correct, John, that it is hard to describe and really have to be there to to fully understand it. But what we are is a 10-day celebration and festival of creativity and innovation. We have, again, lots of panels and presentations that focus on creativity and innovation and entrepreneurship in all its many, many forms. We also have a huge music festival, which has somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 bands from all across the world, as well as a a large film festival. We have a comedy event. It is like internet channel surfing in real life. It is lots and lots of very, very fun things to do great people to meet, great networking. You mix it into a very creative city, which is Austin, Texas, at a time of year where the rest of the world, i.e. Toronto, is still very cold and we're beginning to have spring. So you have that whole metaphor of rebirth and um, it's a fun time. Yeah, I like how Hugh just uh, gave me that Toronto reference. So here in Toronto, it is warm right now, but I'd love to be in Austin. I can't wait to be there next. You get it in the, or, or we pay for it in the summer. So it's all evens out. Okay. That's true. I could do without the 105 degree weather every day. So you've been there for over 30 years. 
And I'm sure there's been a lot of changes over that time. Can you describe to me what South by would have been like 20, 30 years ago? Was it the same? Was it different? No, it was very different. The event started in 1987, launched in 1987. I came on board in 1989. My origin creator story, and understand there's always a little bit of fiction in origin creator stories, is that I had a computer and they didn't. And so that was why I got hired. (laughs) (laughs) The flip side of that story is that it was a Mac Plus, which, you know, if we think about our smartphones, is about one one thousandth of even a smartphone at this point. But, you know, it was a lesson in the power of having the right hardware at the right time. So, again, I came on board in 1989. At that point, South by Southwest was entirely focused on music. Well, mostly focused on music, a little bit on media also, because it was an outgrowth of the Austin Chronicle, which is similar to like Toronto now, where you are. It was a one-room office at that point. Beyond my computer, our our most important piece of technology was a fax machine. (laughs) Where did those go? I certainly, at that point in 1989, never in my wildest dreams imagined that it would grow to be as big as it is 30 years later. And I didn't think it would be a long-term career. It seemed like something that would be fun to do at the time. But we've certainly had a lot of... Got a lot of lucky breaks then continue to get a lot of lucky breaks. And the event has grown and evolved and changed a lot. In 1994, we added what was then called film and multimedia. Multimedia being the kind of cutting-edge word in 1994 for technology and and referring mainly to CD-ROMs. I got tapped by my boss to run that because I had the computer (laughs) seven years ago. So I must know about CD-ROMs, which I didn't really know a whole lot about. And those remain the three main pillars of the event, meaning music, film, and technology. We can now call technology interactive, or we shifted that from multimedia to interactive 20 years ago. But I will say that one of the secrets or one of the things that has allowed us to survive and thrive over 30 plus years is the event has evolved and reinvented itself and pivoted a whole lot of times. And I think that's a lesson for any business and a life lesson also. I mean, in 2023, again, we have a strong focus on music, on film, on technology, but we'll also cover food, health tech, med tech, style, sports, fashion, politics, social media, cannabis, psychedelics, all kinds of things that we think are creative economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask... So have you seen the change? Because I'd imagine over 30 years, so since the 89 that you've been there, I mean, we're talking about, you know, when you started, the biggest tech company in the world would have been Microsoft, I'd imagine. And nobody else was even around. I mean, Google, Facebook, Twitter, these companies didn't exist. Do you, in your mind, do you remember those landmark moments where, oh, now this thing called Yahoo exists? Now there's Google. Now there's uh, Facebook. Do those resonate in your mind as kind of landmark moments at South by Southwest? Maybe not so much as South by Southwest. They resonate in my mind of, damn, why didn't I invest in that at the time or something like that, (laughs) right? But I do remember, I mean, certainly for us, where we grew so much in the early 2000s or the mid-2000s for about the next decade was being at the right place at the right time on social media. And I say right place and right time because it wasn't necessarily intentional. We thought this looks interesting and intriguing. 
we didn't realize it was going to be as game-changing as it turned out to be. Our kind of watershed moment there was 2007 when Twitter essentially launched at South by Southwest. And there was certainly a, (laughs) in my mind, a, a before and after there in the sense that after Twitter launched, after South by Southwest 2007, when Twitter got so much buzz from our community, they had a large jump in usership amongst this community and their friends who attended South by Southwest. And after that, every startup in the world wanted to come to South by Southwest to try to achieve the same thing. And every VC in the world wanted to come to South by Southwest. Now, certainly where we are in 2022 and 2023, social media is not quite as game-changing or not quite as exciting and inspiring as it may have been 10 or 15 years ago. And certainly makes us think about well, what technology are we going to showcase yet next and and what are the potential downfalls of that technology? But again, to your question of seeing companies that emerged, that were South by Southwest and and emerged, Twitter is certainly the biggest example of that, I think as well. I mean, another example, something like Airbnb didn't launch at South by Southwest, but it certainly got a huge push at South by Southwest because... There were a ton of people coming to Austin who needed places to stay, and we didn't have a whole lot of hotels. And hence, they were using this new technology, this new platform called Airbnb. And wow, this is kind of cool and telling their friends. And and Airbnb got a big push out of the event. I think that was 2009, maybe 2010. So lots of stories like that. And I think the common thread in those stories is... Companies, platforms, apps that have gotten the most out of South by Southwest are companies, platforms, and apps that help users digest and make a better experience at South by Southwest. So that, that is always my, you know, hack or cheat to tell an entrepreneur or startup if you want to get a, make a big splash at South by Southwest, figure out something that figure out a startup a service that will help people better utilize, better digest South by Southwest. And that typically resonates very strongly with the audience and resonates very strongly with the community that follows the event virtually. Yeah, that Twitter story, and I had actually put that down as a question here. So I think it was 2006 or seven that this company that no one had heard of called Twitter shows up. And I guess the tactic they were using was they were using Twitter as a service to tell you what was going on at South by. So it was like, hey, if you go here, you'll see this and here you'll see that. I think there were even monitors set up that had Twitter so you could see the tweets on a screen if you didn't have them on your phone because at the time it was just SMS messaging. Do you recall that? And was that planned or did they do that on their own? Absolutely recall that. The other part of the story that will be unfamiliar to you or others is that one of the four founders of Twitter was F. Williams, who's more recently been involved with Medium. He had been coming to South by Southwest for several years and had these really cool projects that were really neat, really innovative startups, but didn't never quite made a splash. And so I remember my the person who was working on sales then, who still works on sales now, says, told me Ev's got this really cool new thing and they want to have a big presence at South by Southwest. It's like, I thought that sounds pretty neat. Let's figure out a way for them to be involved. So yes, they worked with us to set up monitors in the hallways, much as you would see in an airport that you know has information on departures and arrivals. And it was a, just a, a stream of all the tweets that were going out during South by Southwest. And at that time, 
very early in the journey of Twitter, however you want to phrase it, it was mainly people saying, you know, I'm having lunch at blank blank, meet me at the blank blank party, something like that. But, you know, previous to that, as you say, there was not a good way to get that information out aside from SMS. And I don't think most of us in 2007 could see the long range trajectory here, i.e. 10 or 15 years or even 5, 10 or 15 years where Twitter would essentially become this way for all individuals to have their own media company. But certainly the VCs that invested in Twitter (laughs) out of seeing what it did at South by Southwest had some kind of knowledge or understanding of the potential of this. But yeah, it was it was totally new. I mean, it's even hard to to think about that now about well, I mean, that's just like what we expect day to day in 2022, but but again, completely different 15 years ago and uh, got a huge push out of the event and again just kind of changed our trajectory completely. Yeah, such a cool story. And I'd imagine, yeah, because then not only did it put them on the map, but it put you guys on the map as the kingmaker, which was well-deserved. Well, are, are, the downside of that, John, was that every year for the next 10 years, and even so, media covering the event would say, well, what's the Twitter coming out of this year's event? And you know, Twitter was kind of generational. I mean, so that became a little bit of an albatross of, well, there's nothing quite as big as Twitter that broke out this year. I will say that 2015, I think, there was a another app that got a huge bump out of South by Southwest. That was Meerkat, which was gone to the graveyard of uh, startups, I believe. But it very much... Meerkat was very much a precursor to Facebook Live or, or any of the kind of live streaming, live experience things that we see now. And ironically, you know, we had... Or I remember thinking before Meerkat that, you know, social media seems like it's run its course or there are not going to be any new great new innovations coming to South by Southwest. And I was completely wrong on that. So there. Yep. Meerkat, if I remember correctly, they raised like 10 or 15 million bucks like a day after South by. I remember seeing that. And then they fizzled out pretty quickly. But yeah, but and remember as well that Twitter launched, they launched a competitor to Meerkat. Periscope. Periscope, there you go. <laughs> How quickly we forget within a week of South by Southwest to try to kind of capitalize on that buzz. So yeah, that was neat also. Yeah. So I'm sure there are lots of companies that everybody wants to be the next Twitter and everybody wants to break out. Are there any companies that maybe you you had very high hopes for and they came to South by and they didn't break out or maybe they broke out later, but, but South by wasn't their moment? Do you see a lot of high potential companies that flop? Or I'm not comfortable saying flop is the right word, but certainly things that I thought would generate more buzz outside of our community. I mean, I think that's always the... With any event or with any community, that's always the big challenge is, is, okay, it makes a mark in your community, but do others absorb it? And one that comes to mind there was something called High Life, right? That you remember that, which Mm -hmm. was a location-based social networking that you could tell that if I'm, you know, in a line next to John Davids and he's interested in ice hockey and I'm interested in ice hockey, it kind of pings me. Again, that seemed like that was going to be a big thing. It didn't really pan out. But I will say that you're doing the family trees here. 
you know, the founder of that went on to have one of the huge success stories, the pandemic, which unfortunately is not worn out quite so well post-pandemic, which is Clubhouse. So there was that. I would say the more recently, and certainly (laughs) this is an open, there's still lots of debate on this is, you know, we did a ton of NFT programming in March, 2022, particularly within the music conference where we had a lot of panels and presentations on how NFTs are going to revolutionize the music business. They're going to make artists, you know, get a better share of their creativity now and in the future. And a lot of very smart people talking about that. And it certainly was kind of a big theme at the event. And, and within two weeks, and I don't think there is a cause and effect here, the NFT market began to crash. Now, I think the Again, we're still a work in progress and journey on this. Maybe it's the NFT market kind of flushing out some of the hype and probably it comes back stronger at some future date. But again, what we thought was this this huge new thing, which was going to immediately change the way the music business works, operates, goes forward, certainly has not quite panned out how we thought six months ago, right? That's very true. And I've talked to artists about that, about how it could get rid of intermediaries, you know, artists speaking directly to fans, everyone having a share in the music. And it it hasn't quite had the adoption that maybe we thought it was going to as fast as it was. So let me say there, and and full disclosure, I don't don't think I own any NFTs. I'm not sure if you do. I, I think that certainly what we have found with South by Southwest and what I see in my personal journey is like, if you can't easily explain a technology to your your mom <laughs> or your grandfather, whatever, it is going to have a hard time gaining adoption. And NFTs aren't the most complicated thing in the world. Maybe there are other things that are more complicated, quantum computing, stuff like that. But it's not as intuitive as something like social media or even location-based social media or things like that, where, oh, that makes sense. I understand. That could be cool. It's still like, what are you telling me again? How does this work? I need to write this down. So that's my theory. If it's, if it's hard to explain, if it's the geeks and nerds understand it better than everyone else, it's probably not going to transcend as easily or as quickly into the general community. I think you're bang on with that. And I've said this before. I think if you look at something like look at Apple with the iPhone, Apple didn't invent the smartphone, but everything from how it works, the onboarding experience, you know, it's like, you want to accomplish this, you push this button. And it's that they take it down to that atomized level of simplicity. That's what you need for mass adoption. I mean, I understand NFTs, but even I get a little muffled about, wait, how does this work? And by the way, why are we using the word NFT? Is that the best brand name we can think of? Call it something else. And so I do think you're right. I think the utility is very, very um, important, but the branding in the UX just isn't there yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, and you're, again, agree with your comparison on Apple. They are master of simplifying things. And ironically, I think that one of the challenges of South by Southwest, overall challenges, is that we've got 100 different things going on at once. And that is so much fun. But 100 different things at once is sometimes hard for people to understand. We often get dinged and rightly so that you know it's the paradox of too much choice. There are 100 different things to do. So I think I'm just going to go home and go to sleep because it's too hard to make a decision. But there you go. Yeah. So let me ask you about that topic you just brought up. So NFTs, crypto, let's just broadly call it Web3. You've had... I'm sure you said it was a big part of your programming last year. 
Where do you think we are in that cycle? And I'm asking you because you know you've seen tech trends emerge and up and down, up and down over over three decades now. Do you think we are in the place where crypto and Web three is sort of ready to emerge? Do you think we're a long way off from adoption that you know people will be using things like Bitcoin or Ethereum in their day to day life? Where do you think we are in that cycle? I think we're. Again, I think the current dip in the market, I think things will come back, but it may not be for a year, two years. I think that one of the challenges with technology or, or good or bad things about technology at this point is that you inevitably in any new technology you have to have this hype curve where <laughs> you get a lot of people very involved, some of whom are very smart and know what they're doing. Others may not be quite as much. And I think that we all, to one of your previous questions, we all have, or a lot of us have heartburn that, damn, I didn't invest in Google when it was a young company. Damn, I didn't buy Bitcoin when it was $10 a share. And so, hey, I'm going to go all in on this new thing. And that's whether that be NFTs, Web3, whether that be, again, something I mentioned before, quantum computing, whether that be some other new trend that's not quite there yet, that inevitably causes a lot of early adopters, some of which may not be the best long-term solution. So again, that's a long way of saying, I think this market will come back. I think we will eventually become all more comfortable with dealing with crypto, NFTs, Web3, but it's probably not for two or three years. Yeah. I think one of the plus sides of this, I was just interviewing Roger Huang, who covers crypto for Forbes. And he was saying, one of the good things about having a down market like this is it flushes out a lot of the noise. And we just get back to the basics. And you know people can work without the distraction of all the money being thrown around. Yeah. And you can certainly, to his point, which I think is very good, you can, in many ways, overlay where we are now in 2022 with the initial dot-com bust. And early 2000. And yes, it's frustrating that my Ethereum is worth little right now. But we can remember that all this stuff came back with so much stronger after this kind of flushing of the market occurred. So as with all things, patience and have a long-term vision and a long-term approach. And I think that it will work out and be very successful. Quick break here while I do an ad spot. Okay, first ad of the show. And this ad is for my LinkedIn. So if you guys follow me on social, you know that I've been posting a lot more content on LinkedIn. I'm linkedin.com slash in slash John Davids. J-O-N-D-A-V-I-D-S. Go ahead and follow me on there and engage with my content. I put out a lot of good stuff. If you like this podcast, you will love my LinkedIn. I promise you that. I break down business models. I share insights. I share really, really cool stories. So go ahead and follow me on there. And the reason is simple. I want more people to be exposed to this podcast. We're already getting thousands of listeners every episode. But I want to keep it growing, keep momentum up. And the best way to do that is to engage on social and tell more people about this podcast. So go to LinkedIn, give me a follow, engage with my content. I'll talk to you guys on there. And now back to the show. Let's talk about what works at South by because I think a lot of people listening attend, maybe hope to speak there or have spoken there. What makes a good South by, let's say, presenter or panel or topic? What are you looking for that says, yes, that's what we need on stage here? 
That's a great question, John. And we're, as we speak now, and when the podcast airs, we're going through the thousands and thousands of speaking proposals we received and trying to pick the, decide which ones are the merely the very good and which ones are the very excellent. I think certainly some of the factors involved here, having a speaker or speakers that have expertise in their field, it's also certainly important that speakers are dynamic, they're energetic, they are entertaining. That's a good thing. And as well, being able to get across a few important points in their presentation or in their panel. Certainly one of the things that we have seen, or I think we've seen change a lot in the last five to 10 years at South by Southwest is the emergence of sessions that are very, very takeaway focused. And I've called this in other interviews or conversations, this is kind of the Amy Webb effect. She is a futurist technologist who has spoken at South by Southwest quite often over the last decade. And in the last few years, she's given this thing, this presentation called the Top 10 Tech Trends for 2022 or 2023. It's become one of the most popular sessions of the event. But I think we see more and more people kind of structuring speaking proposals that way, whether it's the Top 10 Trends in EVs or the Top 10 Trends in Social Media or the Top 10 Trends in Marketing. But why that's important is I think that our audience or any kind of audience wants to know that, wow, I'm going to go to this. I'm going to get specific takeaways that I can bring back to my my work, my boss, my everyday life. And that in many ways, that is more valuable than a presentation which you know looks pretty interesting, but may not offer me specific takeaways. That's a really, really good point because it used to be, and you can tell me because you were around 20, 30 years ago, if you were looking at a speaker, somebody that had great credentials and knew a lot about a topic could get on stage and talk about it. But then, you know, when you had the emergence of TED Talks and you have Twitter and you have BuzzFeed and you have all these communication mechanisms where it's not just what you're saying, but how interesting it is that you're saying it, that makes a big difference. I think the standards today are much higher for. What's going to hold my attention for 5 or 10 or 20 minutes versus what that might have been 20 years ago? Is that right? Oh, absolutely. And certainly the technologies you mentioned or the platforms you mentioned in some ways make our job easier, in some ways make it harder. And that for almost anyone, we can (laughs) find a YouTube video that shows her or his speaking style. And so we can go, oh, that person's not as great a speaker as we thought they were. We have to look somewhere else or, oh, wow, that person is fantastic. I will also say that, again, given all this content in all its many forms, what you mentioned, TED Talks, YouTube, BuzzFeed, you know, whatever, it reaffirms or re-re-re-clarifies and affirms that the real power of events like South by Southwest, like TED, like Collision in Toronto is... You know, it's great to get information in sessions, but what people really want is that chance or that ability to network face-to-face with a speaker or with another very compelling person. And so, you know, the power of face-to-face events, which we didn't experience for two years because of the pandemic, but are coming back with a vengeance now is, again, just the power of synchronicity, the power of of the kinds of connections that happen face-to-face that we can't really replicate online, the power of, again, chance interactions in a hallway, in a line, 
at a cab, go into the airport, things like that. Those are still reasons why, as inefficient as they are in some ways, those are still reasons why events are so popular. Yeah. How much has the creator economy factored into what you look at? I mean, if you're looking at a speaker and they have a big Twitter audience, a big TikTok, a big YouTube presence, does that help? Does that hurt? Do you look for that as kind of a tick on their on their resume? Another great question, John. I think that's to some degree changed over the last 10 years. Again, when we were beginning to go down the social media path, that was something that we looked at a lot. Maybe it's not quite as important as this point, simply because a lot of that social media following tends to be quote consumer-based and we tend to be more of an industry event. So I think you're seeing influencers probably are going to proportionally more influencers or someplace like VidCon, which is a little more consumer-oriented. Certainly, we love it to have a, a CEO who is active on social media, who has millions and millions of followers. That's a great thing. But, but someone who is an influencer may be not as important at South by Southwest versus other events. Again, and kind of bearing the lead on that is we tend to, to think of ourselves, call ourselves a industry event, at least for people who are buying the badges, which are you know $1,000 on up. They tend to be in a professional industry. They tend to be coming to the event to make professional contacts and for professional development. So that's the kind of content we aim for them. That said, again, as I mentioned before, we have a music fest and a film fest, which has a huge consumer presence and seeing some of the the influencers and that influencer culture and that creator economy spread into those elements of the event. Yeah. I'm not sure if you have a point of view on this. I'm just kind of curious though. The influencer world obviously has become very... It's become very noisy. Everybody wants to be an influencer. Everybody is an influencer in some capacity. Do you think that's diluted at all the kind of information or the... I guess I should say the kind of information that people think is good information and strong information, but it's coming from people that haven't been doing it for 10 or 20 years. They've been doing it for 10 minutes. Do you think that's kind of changed the dynamic at all in terms of... Hey, someone comes to you with a pitch and says, Hey, this is going to be great, Hugh. You know, we should do this. And you're like, Guys, this is not really up to par with what we need to be doing. Have you seen that dynamic at all? Yeah, for sure. And whatever I say here is got to be, uh, got to put an asterisk by it by saying that I don't spend a whole lot of time on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or Be Real. Be real. That, that, that is a very current <laughs> reference. Yes. It will probably be gone by the time this airs. But, you know, and I think that that is certainly part of the current backlash we are seeing against social media is that it has made misinformation, disinformation a lot bigger part of our society. And, and saying in somewhat guarded terms, that has had some significantly negative effects in the US. So again, I think that what we are looking for in terms of speakers, in terms of people to showcase the event are folks who have a slightly deeper resume. And I, to show how old school I am, I'm still a huge, huge fan of having authors come to the event. Because if you write a book, you have to have done some research or probably did some research. I also... Authors speaking at the event, they tend to have done a book tour at some point, have talked about this book, have come up with a speech, know what lines are going to engage the audience, draw laughs, you know, as opposed to someone who is 
this is their first time speaking or they've never given this particular speech before and some of it may be rough. So, I mean, with the general context that, again, this is all media in one form or the other, whether it's a book, whether it's a magazine article, whether it's a TikTok video, it is all media. But we tend to skew a little bit, I think, and I hope more to the long form media. So a lot of the folks listening to this podcast are startups. Maybe they're one or two people. They're just starting something new and they want to go to South by and they want to experience, get the best experience they can, whether that's off stage, on stage, what have you. What would you recommend? What's the best experience that someone could have if they're launching something new? Well, great question. And let me just give a little more context there. We are certainly very focused in 2023 and have been for the past decade or more on tech startups. And again, that is very much influenced by the success of something like Twitter at South by Southwest. But you know, if you think about the journey and arc of South by Southwest, you know, we've always been startups to a certain extent. Because back when we started in 1987, the startups at that point were bands, right? They were trying to get their CD because there wasn't digital media at that point into the hands of the A&R people who are coming to South by Southwest. And you can, it's not a perfect comparison, but it is a decent comparison that the CD a band was giving to an A&R person in 1989 is equivalent to the, you know, performa, a PowerPoint that a, a startup is giving to a VC or angel investor in 2023. That context aside, for startups who want to maximize South by Southwest, who want to leverage the South by Southwest platform, now certainly recommend that they apply to our startup in-house startup competition, which is South by Southwest Pitch. The application deadline on that is, I believe, November 13th. So there's a little bit of time to apply for that. It is a very competitive process. We'll get somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand total applications from all over the US and all over the world. And of that, we pick 60 finalists who pitch on site in front of a panel of VCs and media. So again, it's very competitive. But even if your startup doesn't want to apply for that or doesn't get in, South by Southwest is a great place to make connections, meet people, learn things that can help your startup move forward, get to the next level. I will say that whether you are a startup or whether you are in some other kind of industry, or with a more established company, always my number one tip for people attending South by Southwest and and attending other events is kind of have a game plan of what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. That is particularly important at South by Southwest because there is so much stuff going on and it's easy to get overwhelmed. So, you know, again, (laughs) better to have a game plan, know what you want to do if some other great opportunity comes up, if you see Elon Musk walking across the street and you want to go over and talk to him, abandon the game plan and go to that. But much better to have that game plan and have that in place and then ditch the game plan as opposed to vice versa. And, and again, I think that's a life lesson also is that sit down every six months, put together a game plan for what you want to do for the next two or three years. And, and it's perfectly fine to abandon that game plan and change that game plan and pivot on that game plan. But I think you're much better if you have some kind of strategy and idea as opposed to vice versa. Great plan for life. I want to ask you something about you mentioned Elon Musk. And I wanted to ask you a question more so just about the broader celebrity culture as it pertains to South by Southwest. So is that something you think about? Obviously, you have a lot of accomplished speakers. You mentioned Amy Webb, who's great, and many others. 
how do you think about, okay, we need to get Barack Obama or we need to get Oprah or, you know, are those conversations happening and you want to kind of sprinkle those in, but maybe not distract from everybody else? Or how do you think about bringing celebrities into South by Southwest and how that kind of influences the culture of the event? I mean, I think we, <laughs> we are generally always of the opinion that celebrities are a good thing. And certainly my experience working at the event over 30 years is that more celebrities return our calls now than they did in the early days. And that is a good thing. It is certainly easier to market the event, to promote the event when there are celebrity names that people know. It is easier to say, Tim Sweeney is speaking at South by Southwest, who is the CEO of Epic. And that is not the case yet versus the next Tim Sweeney. But the reality of an event like South by Southwest is it's largely up-and-coming talent. So those celebrities, those well-known names are about 2 or 3% the total content. The other 95 to 97% is discovery of who's next. You know, In our best days, what we do at South by Southwest is provide a preview of the future, of what's going to be hot in 2 or 3 years. I love hearing stories where someone says... Wow, so-and-so, I just saw their film. I first met them at South by Southwest three years ago when they had a short film. Or I saw that band three years ago at a small club at South by Southwest. I knew they were going to be great. It's so great that they're on the radio now. Or I met that founder three years ago at South by Southwest. And I, I knew that she had this great idea. And I'm so excited that they popped. So again... Celebrities are, are generally a good thing as Help by Southwest. Celebrities help fill big rooms. They help draw media attention. But the bulk of the event is up-and-coming talent, people you haven't heard of yet, but they should be people on your radar. Yeah. So back in 2020, I remember this because I won't mention the client, but I own a marketing business and we had a very big CPG client that was going to do a big activation. And I remember... The, the text came in that day and it said, Hey, South by Southwest is off. And it was like, you know, you could, you could, it was an audible moan in the room. Can you talk about that moment at all and how you guys made that decision and, and sort of like how that all played out? Cause I'd imagine behind the scenes, that was a very tough call to make. Yeah. South by Southwest 2020 was canceled because of the pandemic. And I know for a lot of people in Austin, in the US around the world, when South by Southwest was canceled, that was their signal of, wow, this shit is real, you know? So behind the scenes at our end, safety is a huge, 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 huge part of the event for South by Southwest and for any event organizer at this point. And so we had been working extremely closely with the city of Austin throughout February in terms of monitoring this thing, which was beginning to have a pretty big impact in Asia, but hadn't seemed like it had come to the US yet. So having meetings every other day with health officials in the city of Austin, the general calculus was, I think we're going to be all right here. Just get plenty of hand sanitizer. And then all of a sudden at the end of the month, that calculus completely changed. The end of month, that being end of February 2020 to we need to really readdress how this is going to work. And then all of a sudden, it changed to, this is going to be very bad if it goes on. So on March 6th, the city of Austin officially canceled South by Southwest. I'll, I'll, I mean, remember that date for many reasons, not the least of which it was Friday, March 6th. So a week later is Friday, March 13th. <laughs> you need to remember that. 
I was in on the negotiation process, so I knew it was going to happen. Our staff, most of our staff was not in the negotiation process. So certainly there were shocks and tears and whatnot. And then the way it panned out, and similar to your story of working with a client, there were companies that had already come to Austin for South by Southwest. There were people in the air that when they left their destination, <laughs> South by Southwest was on. When they landed, it was off. The very difficult thing at our end is that three days later, we laid off about a third of our staff because most of our... We operate on a pretty thin margin. Most of our income happens in March. And without a March event, South by Southwest, just our calculation was we would not be able to afford to keep these people on. So that was incredibly difficult. We've never had ever had any kind of mass layoff like that in the history of South by Southwest. These were people we'd all worked with for 11 months on this event. And it was absolutely horrible. We put on a little bit of an online event in 2020, meaning there was videos of some compelling speakers, and they ended up being free. Then 2021 was an entirely virtual event, which actually worked out a lot better than we thought. I mean, <laughs> with, the, the, with the context that I think we had fairly low expectations. And then this past March, i.e. five months ago, was our first IRL event since March 2019. And great to be back IRL. There was certainly with South by Southwest, as we've seen with a lot of other events, there was a feeling of people just being happy to be back together in person. And, and that speaks to what we'd taken for granted for so long that you can just get together it had been made impossible. The 2022 event was not quite as big as what we had seen in 2019. But most of that or to the extent that the event was smaller, it was largely because our international participation was not as big as it had been before. And that being that a lot of countries outside the US still could not travel to Austin for March. So we expect the 2023 event will be significantly bigger, more close to what we saw in 2019. We again feel that energy out there of people excited to be back in real-world events. And certainly even within the, the current economic challenges in the US and the challenges of conflict in Europe, there's a lot of energy and exciting topics that events like South by Southwest will address in March 2023 and moving forward. And I think people are thirsting for that. Obviously, we all saw during the pandemic how much we really, really like those IRL experiences. As mentioned earlier, John, I mean, Think of 18 months ago, and I will say that I was at the head of this line was, wow, Clubhouse is the next greatest thing. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's still really neat, but it's not that I'm listening to Clubhouse 12 hours a day like I was when all I could do was move from the kitchen to the, the bedroom and not get out of my house. So again, things have changed so much. And it is a, all this stuff is a reminder of the power of in-person events. Yeah, I did a webinar for our clients called Why Clubhouse is the Next Big Thing. And it was, it was, it made a lot of sense at the time. And then that, that webinar, it did not stand the, the test of time, unfortunately. So let me ask you this though. One of the interesting things, and we were talking about this before the mics heated up, one of the interesting phenomenon of the pandemic was for some reason, Austin just became the place to be. You had Joe Rogan move there. You have, of course, Elon Musk go there and the huge migration from, San Francisco, and it was like Austin, Miami. Those are the two places to be. Why was that? And did you notice a difference in the city? Well, to your second question first, certainly there is a difference in the city. 
maybe more traffic. I don't think we've fully seen that yet because so many people are still work from home. Certainly, the biggest difference we see is that for so many years, the competitive advantage of Austin was it was a cheap place to live. Very cheap place to live. I think you can make a strong argument that that's why Austin became such a creative city, so much music coming out of this town, so many other artistic ventures. And one of the big effects of having so much migration here is that cost of living has increased a lot. I think you can say that for almost every big city in the the US and around the world, but probably more so on the Austin side of things. And certainly there is a you know degree of anger, resentment, whatnot of, of people moving here from out of town and raising prices and making it harder to find places to live. But you're either growing or you're not growing. And so we're growing and that's a good thing. Now, why this happened to your first question, I think first and foremost for so many of the tech companies, it's a well, initially it was cost of living is cheaper here. That may not Still cheaper probably than San Francisco, but not as significantly cheaper as it may have been five or 10 years ago. But also, our taxes are lower here. And that has been something that has drawn so many of these tech companies. I think that you mentioned Elon has moved to Austin or or Texas broadly because he tends to move around a lot. You know, one of the real world impacts of that in terms of the South by Southwest conversation is. I always say that South by Southwest is a strong reflection of what is hot and trending in Austin. And that's why South by Southwest started as a music event in 1987, because there was a huge music scene. That's why we added film in 1994, because you had Robert Rodriguez and Rick Linkletter, these new hot new directors coming out of Austin. And on the multimedia side, you had Dell Computer, things like that. With Elon Musk moving here with a huge, 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 giant Tesla factory out by the airport. In 2022, we added a transportation track to South by Southwest, meaning we now have 40 sessions on transportation, a lot of which were focused on EVs. And the point there being that the long tail of Elon moving here is that there are a ton of transportation startups in the city. There are a ton of other automotive startups in the city, and and we should reflect that with our programming. So again, big picture answer to your question. Growth is good. It's exciting to have a lot of new people here, a lot of new energy in the city, but certainly it is challenged, presented challenges to a lot of the infrastructure. Are we going to see Elon in March 2023 at South by Southwest? You know, insert witty Elon remark here about uh, (laughs) childbirth and all kinds of other things. I would not be surprised if Elon's around at the event in one form or another. We had him speak in 2018, and that was before he moved to Austin. And obviously, he's incredibly popular and a, and a role model to so much of our community. That said, we also know that Elon has taken over from one Donald Trump as the most prolific social media user, and they're both positives and negatives to that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll wait and see if he. Uh, and there's, there's going to be a lot that happens with Elon between now and and March. Uh, <laughs> you with, think <laughs> with Twitter and Mars and who knows what else? So we'll have a lot. A don't lot, don't a leave lot out the hyperlink. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Hugh, this was great. Really appreciate your time today. This was an awesome conversation. John, I, I love being here. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for the great questions, and look forward to seeing you and some of your community in Austin in March 2023. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a rating or review on Apple and Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, helps other people find the show and it lets us know that we're doing something right. 